After 25 years of beating the streets and beating the odds, I'm bringing you interviews with the most interesting people I've met along the way. Broadcasting from downtown Happy Valley in State College, PA, welcome to the Ride with Ben podcast with me, your host, Ben Lawrence. Ten years ago, I took a sales job with a venture capital-backed startup company in San Francisco. It was a very small company at the time, and there was another guy who started the same time as I did, also in sales. The only difference being, while I was responsible for sales in the United States, this other guy was responsible for sales in Europe. And while our new jobs were similar, we also shared some distinct differences For one, I'm an American, and he's Swiss. Second, I have short hair, he has long hair. Third, I don't have any tattoos, but this guy certainly does. I also tend to ride a quiet bicycle for fun, and this guy, despite being from prim and proper Switzerland, rides a big, loud Harley Davidson. But we also shared some things in common. We're the same age, We're both married to stay-at-home moms. We both have houses that are full of daughters. And we both have a keen interest in background in sales. For the six years after he and I took these jobs at this company, our friendship, much like the company, grew exponentially. No matter how hard I worked or how many sales I made, this guy was right there with me. I couldn't shake him. More than I care to admit, he was outselling me and everybody else globally within the company. He had become a sales champion of the highest order, and he had an extremely loyal group of customers that routinely posted testimonials about his work. One of the highlights of the time that I've known this gentleman was on my 40th birthday when I happened to be in Switzerland. And I don't know how, but this guy managed to rent me a brand new motorcycle for the day. And he took me on a wild adventure all throughout the Swiss Alps. He on his roaring Harley Davidson and I on the rented bike. And it was a day that I'll never forget. During a recent vacation or holiday, as they call it in Europe, to the United States, my family was delighted to host him his wife, Sarah, and their two beautiful daughters, Emma and Helena, at our home in State College. But even when this guy's on vacation, I saw that he's constantly in motion. He squeezed in some CrossFit workouts, and he's obsessed with CrossFit, as you'll hear in this podcast. He hosted a number of business calls. He took his family on a visit to the Penn State Creamery where they make their own ice cream. That's a must, by the way, for anyone who comes to visit my town. He even hosted two days of incredible communication workshops for all of my company's sales and service engineers. And like lucky for us, everyone on this podcast, he made the time to conduct an interview with me that you're going to hear. In this podcast, you'll learn what makes a great salesperson. And as a hint, it's not talent or smarts or luck. You'll learn where he and others like him tend to find inspiration. His advice to new salespeople, just as they're getting into that as a career. And his tips for managing stress. 
straight from Zurich, Switzerland to you through this podcast, please welcome my good friend, Dan Tesniak. Dan Tesniak, welcome to the podcast. And before you even open your mouth, I have to give a disclaimer to our audience, and that is, despite your perfect American English, you are not American. So just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and where you live now. Now, it's, thank you for having me, um, Ben. It's been, uh, it's been great to be here in, uh, in State College uh, and to visit this uh, wonderful town. Um, uh, I am originally from Europe, from, born and raised in Switzerland, uh, but my parents are uh, from Yugoslavia originally. Um, and to make things more complicated, now that Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore, um, they are both from a town in Bosnia. However, my father is by origin Serb. My mother is Croat, uh, which makes me sort of the quintessential product of what a Yugoslav was supposed to be. Um, uh, but as I said, I grew up in Zurich in Switzerland um, until I was 20. Uh, and at 20, I packed my bags and left for the United States because that was uh, back then, the United States. And still today, I think for some people, is a, is a destination that you need to see and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, the, the place where dreams come true, I suppose. Uh, and I went to the States to learn English. Um, and a three-month uh, planned language uh, uh, stint turned into a total of 11 years in the United States. Yeah. So a little bit of a detour. How, how well do your parents and extended family speak English? Uh, not well at all. Well, you know, my sister, I would say, uh -huh. my sister does, you know, does, you know, speaks well. And then all, all my, I mean, the younger generations, my cousins, etc. But my parents, uh, my father is a specialist. He'll just, uh, he'll just take German words and pronounce them in English. Uh, <laughs> so he thinks that he speaks English. Uh, yeah. My mother actually can communicate quite well in English, but isn't, she's not fluent. Um, uh, but, you know, I thought all the younger generations definitely do speak English. Well, I'm sure your parents are going to want to hear this podcast, and you'll have to do the translation for them into their native languages. Yeah, probably I will have to. How many languages do you speak? Uh, four. Uh, so English, German, mm -hmm. um, and then there's two versions of German because I grew up in Switzerland. You have obviously High German, which is the written German that you would that a German might understand me in. Um, and then there's obviously also Swiss German, which is just a spoken language. It's more like a dialect. Um, but it, you know, if I was to speak Swiss German, most German people wouldn't understand me. Hmm. Um, and then there's French, which I learned in school. And then my mother tongue is uh, Serbo-Croatian or Yugoslavian. Um, so yeah, four. Okay. Yeah. Well, despite your international man of mystery background, the way you and I have gotten to know each other is really through the world of startup business and sales. Indeed. And our listeners will hear more about you in our introduction, but I'm very interested to know, it's a very simple question, hopefully you have an answer because I do not, but what makes a great salesperson? And that's really the big idea that we're gonna be covering in this podcast. But in your experience or opinion, what makes a great salesperson? Ah, uh, that's, um, that's a good question. And I think right off the bat, I would say there's two things. Um, one is, 
not very, I think, glamorous in a sense, but it's it's just consistency and discipline. I think sales, as much as people want to uh, claim that it's an art, uh, it's a process. Um, and there's a lot of heavy lifting that you have to do in sales. You have to not be afraid of failure. Um, uh, you And that's something that you learn, I think, along the way. Um, there is a lot of, you know, picking up the phone, calling people, um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just process stuff mm-hmm. that you have to do. You gotta create a pipeline. You gotta create interest. You gotta, uh, you know, follow up with people. You gotta have a hundred calls a day yeah. uh, and all that sort of stuff. And so I think it's just a certain sense of discipline and process uh, that just is part of it, you know. And that, but I think that's probably true for any profession. And then the Could second, be, thing, but for sales, it, that's it's critical, right? Uh, yeah. It sounds very unsexy, but it's wildly important. And you said there's a second thing. Go ahead. I think the second thing, in my opinion, is, um, and I'm really, uh, this is something that I'm passionate about is, and it kind of goes to passion as well, is conviction. Um, I, I have never been, uh, in all the companies I've ever worked for, I, I need to be convinced that what I am speaking about, what I am talking about, what I am telling people about is something that I deeply believe in. Viscerally, and, and I think that's uh, that's also a quality that I look for, and in, in when I build a team, and it's a hard one to 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 figure out, right? You can train people to pitch, to present, to you know do Salesforce.com management, and you know <laughs> put their stuff into a CRM and all that sort of stuff, uh, but you cannot teach somebody to feel passion about a mission. Um, and that to me is, um, it's an evangelizing quality, really. You gotta have that in you to be really successful in sales. I, I hope it comes through in this podcast. When I see Dan Tesniak give a presentation or interact in a sales environment, it comes from your soul. The conviction is there. You are so convinced that what you offer is better and can help your audience. It shines through every time. But take me back to that part you said about heavy lifting, the unsexy part. What is it in your background that instilled that discipline to do the heavy lifting? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I know I'm, I've always been a believer in, uh, in, and it's again, and it's a very simple statement too. It's like this, uh, and, and maybe too simple, it's no pain, no gain, right? I think you gotta put in you got to put in effort to create anything in life, um, and and I think today we are living in a society where you know just the slightest level of discomfort you know freaks us out, mm. um, and you know and we're and, and and this notion that we shouldn't feel any discomfort in anything, things should come easy, right? Mm-hmm. If we're just talented enough, mm-hmm. and I don't believe in that. I think it's it's hard work, um, and uh, and in sales especially. Uh, if you want to convince people, um, if you want to get a message out, you know, it's it's by definition you have to speak to hundreds of people. You have to influence. You have to uh, deliver that message with passion. Um, and but from whom did you learn that, or what was what was one of the defining moments in your life? Because we all know we're we're supposed to do things that are uncomfortable. But right. if that were true, and everybody just acted on that no one would be overweight and everyone would be in peak physical condition. Right. They're not. So right. what is it in your background that f- 
shaped you to forge ahead and continue doing that heavy lifting? I think that a lot of it has come from my father, to be very honest. I, um, and I've learned this later in life. I didn't even recognize until much later in life that how, how, how much of an impact he has had on me, in, 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 in particularly in that quality. Um, uh, you know, he's a man who came from, as I said, you know, from Yugoslavia um, and from very, very poor and uh, from a very poor environment. I mean, you know, he had this like one pair of shoes that he wore in the winter, right? In the, in the summer, he didn't have any shoes and that sort of stuff, right? And um, and and uh, so and, and he came, uh, you know, left that very rural area in, you know, post-war uh, Yugoslavia, came to Switzerland. Uh, and made his way into uh, you know a, an entrepreneur and a businessman. Um, so when he came to Switzerland, what did he have? What resources did he bring with him? You know what he always says to me. He says, "I brought a fork and a knife." Uh, that's what he said. <laughs> you know, basically, and and anything that could fit it probably in a plastic bag. Uh, you know, he didn't bring much really. Yeah. Uh, he was you know he was twenty something years old in a foreign country. Didn't speak the language. Uh, and he made it. Um, and I think the quality that he really always displayed, and still to this day, is this 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 desire to move forward, moving forward. Um, you know, looking back is important to draw lessons from, but forward movement is the most important one. And he's just relentless. He doesn't give up at any given point in time. And I think that's also critical. Uh, if, you know, I think in sales or if you are advocating for anything, you're going to be faced with. Um, you know, lots of obstacles. You're going to be faced with failure, etc. But you got to move forward. Um, that's the only movement, really. Um, and I think that's where we, you know, I think that's where we gain some level of joy and happiness in that forward movement. How much satisfaction do you think your father takes in your success? Uh, probably more than I can express. And he always tells me that. You know, I, 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 there was a time when that annoyed me, to be honest, when he was like sort of, you know, you know, it was like, oh, my son, blah, bragging blah, on you know, you. bragging yes, on me. Yes. Um, uh, but, um, but of course, it also fills you with some sense of pride as well, you know, to be able to, um, you know, get that, get that, you know, recognition by him um, as well. So it's a, it's a nice thing. It's, very, it's something I, I'm grateful for that we have that kind of relationship today. At some point, we will get him on this podcast, and you will serve as translator. All right. Uh, but I'm sure he has a story that we can all appreciate. Uh, he's got a great story. Yeah. Moving to present day. Now, you have been a sales professional or a business professional for at least a couple decades. Yeah. Can you believe it? We're no, already I, don't say that out loud, man. It's that, <laughs> right. <laughs> can't believe how how fast time. Even just this year, I can't believe it's it's the end of April. I mean, we just right. celebrated New Year's, and here we are in the middle of Q two. Right. Um, and it's it's funny as in sales how your how your life sort of boils back down to quarters, right? Oh, I know <laughs> it's it. sad it, actually. It can be a little stressful. Right. But when you look back at your experience in business. Now, you've been part of venture capital-backed organizations. You've worked with Fortune 500. So from startup all the way through to multinational, what is it that you wish non-sales professionals on your own team, people in finance, in HR, in operations, in marketing, what is it that you wished they better understood or appreciated about the sales group and the battles that you face? That's a very good question, Ben. Um, it, it just reminds me of a, of, a, of, a, of a moment that I just had recently um, as I'm forming a new team at, at my new company right now. And 
I brought these guys in to meet up with um, in, a, in our office in the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands, we have our product design team mm-hmm. sitting. So these are designers, right? These mm-hmm. are you know UX designers, super you know cerebral guys, very yeah. visual and really inspiring guys. Um, and um, and they for one day we were sitting there with me and with my guys, and we were going through pitches and talking and talking to clients. And so they heard us in the office. So they were in the same office with us. And that day when we were at lunch, uh, the head of product design, um, Wouter, he actually said, he, he looked at us and said, I could just never do what you guys do. <laughs> like, I have this whole new appreciation. I could not pick up the phone and call somebody cold. I could not just even strike up a conversation with somebody else, let alone the amount of, uh, um, you know, um, uh, which, uh, not failures, but, um, you know, rejection yeah. that, you, that you experience. Um, uh, my wife says it too, oftentimes, like, I could not do what you do mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I guess for people who are not doing this, it's, it's, it seems like something like from a different planet almost. Um, for me, it's become the norm. And like, I don't even know how to function any other way than, you know, kind of going out there and telling people about what it is that we're doing. Right. But I think the hardest, you know, the thing to recognize is that it's, that it, it is hard, right? That it's a tremendous amount of work, uh, especially today as sales has changed. You are not selling to one person anymore. You don't have to convince one, but you have to convince hordes of people, right. get them to move in a direction, get them to actually move and actually do something about the visions that you are proposing to them. Um, uh, understanding how an organization works and, and, and maneuvering through that. Uh, helping them overcome their own hurdles. I think you're coaching people, you're influencing people, um, uh, and that's a that's a that's not easy to do. I think you're and you're doing that on a day to day basis, right? You're not just sort of cooped up in your in a job that you have a task to do or to complete. You are working through people with people every single day, and you encounter everything that you can possibly imagine. And I think that's probably the hardest part. You yeah. Know? Um, I heard Jack Jack Welch, former CEO of General Electric, right? Uh, I heard him give a presentation one time, and I love what he said. He said, there is no such thing as a company. Companies are fiction. Right. There are only communities of people right. that are working toward a similar goal. Absolutely right? So true. when we think about sales from an outsider's perspective, I think often we think that it's a business selling to a business, or there's just a business need that has to be solved. At the end of the day, this is about connecting people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And doing so emotionally. Yeah. Right? We do not make buying decisions based on logic alone. Absolutely. If that were the case, everyone would be dri- driving a white sedan right. that got good gas mileage. That's right. As opposed to a souped-up Harley Davidson. That's right, right Dan. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Nobody would do that. No, yeah. but I absolutely agree with that. I think that's 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 there's a lot of truth in that, and I think that's uh, you know it's it's connecting people and 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 rallying them around the vision mm. that you paint, right? Um, or that you help people that you actually help people paint right. oftentimes too. And then together agreeing, okay, um, are you in on this with me? Mm-hmm. And now let's pursue this vision. Let's make it reality. So it's it's almost like creating a business within a business every single time, right? You sort of have to. It's entrepreneurship within entrepreneurship, if that makes any sense. It's what kind of moving are people. One or two questions that you like to ask a prospective customer when you first meet with them. Oh, my staple is, you know, why did you take, why are we here, 
right? You know, like mm-hmm. I know why I'm here, but why are you here? You know, what would you like to get out of this meeting? You know, why did you take 30 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes, an hour out of your busy day to meet with me? Obviously, there's something that you want. So and what, what have that? you learned? What's an example of a time that you asked someone that question and it just the skies parted and there was clarity to your meeting with them? I don't know if the skies parted, <laughs> but um, I think, you know, it shows you why people are there. I think on a personal level and you get different answers sometimes, you know, you get sometimes people are saying, oh, you know, I would like to learn about this, that, other thing. And others have also said, you know what, that gave me the opportunity to escape another meeting. Yeah. And this sounded more interesting. Right. Um, but I think that the, you know, the sort of the common theme as to why people take meetings uh, with uh, somebody in sales is because they want to learn something. You know, plain and simple. You know, and and so often, uh, I see myself, you know, lack of a better expression, as a teacher. You know, of of you know, of of you know, what is out there? What can I give you? What blind spots maybe are there that you're not considering right now? Right. Um, or uh, or you know, particularly what I like, you know, is you know, being part of disruptive companies is is, is new ways of doing things. Right. I, I I relish that. You know, it's just always there's always a better way. There's always a way to better ourselves in some shape or form. And probably that's the driving motivation in my life too. And there's always a way to you know create excellence, not perfection, um, but excellence, right? Betterment. You always strike me as with many of the top performers that I've met who've really made an impact on other people. So many of them, I think, could have been extraordinary teachers. And I I appreciate what you're saying, that we're not there to pitch a product. We're there to educate, to challenge conventional thinking. Yes. And I've learned a lot of that from you. So thanks well, to you and the Challenger sales method, which you introduced to me all those years to go, years ago, continue uh, to really help me. So I'm grateful for that. Well, Ben, I can only reciprocate in that. I think you have instilled that in me as well. I think you have challenged me uh, oftentimes to think differently, and I and that's I like to surround myself with people who are like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes life more interesting, and it likes makes it more exciting. Um, and, uh, and, and you taught me a lot about, I think what you taught me a lot about is, um, uh, and I keep saying this to my wife too, it's like, Ben is one of the most thoughtful people I know, uh, in the way that you, uh, connect with people in the way that you, uh, engage with them, what questions you ask of them. Um, you know, the, the hand, handwritten note, how that still has value, a book that you send, uh, and it's never just sort of. Uh, you know, this cookie cutter, you know, like I'm going to just send out these 10 books to 10 people. No, it's every single book or every single note or whatever it is, there's always thought behind it and there's a connection to it. And I think uh, it's always something that I've admired about you. Well, thank you. I learned that from my mom, who who's a great teacher. So there you right? go. There so you it go. all comes from somewhere. But I'll also say I learned a lot of that through trial and error and failure and doing it wrong in the early years. Right. So looking back on your career, especially as it relates to sales, what are some of the lessons you wish you could have learned sooner? Uh, that's a, that's a, um, another great question. And I would say that um, uh, I think it's to approach selling not as a salesperson, right? I think mm. there's a difference, right? I think if, if you're selling and yeah. you are almost like, 
you know, deferring to your buyer, you know, groveling, you know, please give me 10 minutes, please listen yes. to my pitch. Um, you the know, begging I, method, yeah. which I have, I am guilty of sometimes. I think trying. we've all, yes. I think we've also come to that at, at some point, especially in early in early days, especially when you are, you know, you're 25 and you're right. sitting in front of the, you know, the chief marketing officer of some multinational organization, and you're trying to engage. And of course, that's the person you aspire perhaps to be, yeah. right? So you're sitting in front of your quote unquote idol, and right. so there's some deference to that. But in retrospect, if I could go back. Um, and understand that what I had in my hands to offer that person was valuable, mm. that I did not need to defer to them, um, but that I could just stand on my own and say, look, you know, I have something to offer and you know, hopefully I'll be able to communicate the value to you and if you don't see it, well then that's it's your loss. So how might you have played that out differently? And I'm thinking about, we have young salespeople here at our company, and I'm sure you are often approached by young salespeople looking for advice. What does a young Dan Tesniak actually do differently from the more experienced present day Dan Tesniak? Um, so you mean what advice would I give my younger self? How would you behave differently? Um, I, there's a, you know, I, I say this to my team all the time. I say, look, we're not salespeople, we're business people. Um, you know, mm -hmm. business people who are encountering other business people. Um, and we're there to, uh, you know, do a joint venture together, to yeah. do something together, right? And, and I think being anchored in that, that you are a business person that contributes value, you know, showing up with, uh, authentically, really, I think authenticity has a lot to do with, which right. I think people are gaining over time anyways. Um, and uh, and have that authenticity standing in my own and feeling confident that, you know, what I have to offer is of value. And if you don't recognize it or if you don't want it, well, then, you know, that's your loss. Mm -hmm. um, that would probably be the biggest, one of the bigger changes, I would think, in, uh, that I have you know, uh, if you will, acquired or learned about over over right. the years. Authenticity. Today. Yeah, and being able, you know, and, and I think yeah, yeah. authenticity, and I think in that also too, being able to, you know, walk away from a deal. You right. know, if you don't get it, well then, see, I call yeah. me when you're ready, because right? you will be eventually. My dad has been a great mentor to me, even in sales. Uh, but I remember he used to tell me, he'd say, Ben, a bad deal. It just gets worse. Yep. A bad deal never gets better. Walk away. Right. And I think about in my early days when I was just so desperate to get on the board, to earn some commission, to pay my rent, that I was seeking with hunger two things. Number one, mistake number one, I thought I had to be everybody's friend. Mm -hmm. And number two, I thought that I had to fight and take any crappy deal that happened to fall into my lap. Right. And just those two things alone, it's not that we need to be unfriendly. No. But we are there to challenge and educate and ask good questions and go on a journey with someone who's ready for it. Right, absolutely. And I think that kind of speaks to another point, which is a, a, a rule in life that, that probably started sinking in maybe 10, 15 years ago or so which was the 80-20 rule, you know. Um, 
figure out what is going to propel you forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only, as it says, you know, 20% of your activities, 20% of your clients, mm-hmm. 20% of your pipeline, 20% of whatever it is that you do right. is going to give you 80% of result. And um, and I uh, and I really have. Uh, and I still strive to, um, to to do that well, you know, to really figure out what are the 20%. Because you don't have to, you can, you know, it's not to work harder, it's to work smarter yes. type of approach. Um, and that really uh, can carry you a long way. It can create a much um, less uh, stressful right. um, sales existence, right? If you can identify those opportunities early on and that comes with experience. That comes yeah. with you know with some level of wisdom. Um, but um, if you can identify those twenty percent of of the opportunities that you have, or even the activities that you undertake every single day that are going to propel you eighty to eighty percent, mm-hmm. that really makes a huge Boy, huge difference. I struggle with that still, Dan. Like gun to my head, I can tell you, checking my email every fifteen minutes is not no. part of the high value twenty percent. It isn't. I can tell you that writing handwritten notes or expressing gratitude to someone in my life who deserves it is worth it. But what am I doing every 15 minutes more often than I care to admit? I'm looking at my stupid email. Yeah, no, help I'm, me. I'm guilty of that too. I can't help you other than other than you know. There's people. There's people. I uh, have a, 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 a client of mine who. Um, she just recently uh, switched to this, and I wrote her an email in the middle of the day, and the uh, an out of office reply came back, and she yeah. said, um, uh, "You know, I am currently checking my emails only in the morning and in the evening, um, and so if there's anything urgent, you can contact such and such." Yeah. But she's sticking to it, and uh, yeah. and I asked her too. I said, "Gemma, how is this coming?" And she's like, "You know, actually, it's incredible. It's freeing. It gives me much more time yes. to think." Yeah. Uh, I can focus on other things, and I in, and I and I asked her, "Are you getting behind?" She's like, "No, I'm actually more productive." Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too. I, I find this when I'm on planes, right? I find that I'm on, when I'm on a plane and I don't have internet access. Um, the last bastion of disconnectivity. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Um, it. I am super productive. I I get through my inbox in yeah. an hour. Yeah. And if I was to try to do that in the morning, checking all the emails that are flowing in, it'll take me three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's you know there's practices that that can um, that, uh, that that can help you with that. The other thing I'm I've just recently done too as I've disconnected from all social media. I've disconnected myself from Facebook. Uh, not that I don't care about my friends, but honestly, I don't need to know everybody's business at any given point in time and how happy or unhappy they are. Um, if there's anything urgent, I'm sure I'll hear about it. Um, I've disconnected myself from YouTube and Instagram and all the other stuff because it's just such a, it's a time uh, sucker, right? Yeah. Um, and um, and it, it, yeah, I, I realized that just disconnecting myself, I did that over the last three months, in fact, um, and uh, you gain time, a lot, a lot of time. Yeah, I'm still nowhere near being super productive, <laughs> let's be clear about that, but it helps. And at the end of the day, you, Dan, like all salespeople, you're responsible for bringing a revenue target to your company. Your company depends on it, the employees who work there, and ultimately your customers so that your company can stay alive. Right. And I hear from so many salespeople, what I'm hearing in today's world is that they're facing more pressure than ever to meet and exceed those targets 
that let's be honest, in many cases are set by venture capitalist firms or Wall Street analysts who have very little appreciation for how the numbers even arrive in the first place. Right. It's a huge amount of struggle. How do you manage that pressure and struggle to support your family and meet these numbers and keep your boss happy and keep Wall Street happy? Ah, uh, wow, man, that's another big one. Um, um, look, here's, uh, I used to uh, be obsessed with my numbers um, and I would track them, you know, regularly in terms of where I'm at, how what the gap is. And I think it's important for you to know that. Um, but I, what I'm realizing is it's more important that you focus on um, the day-to-day -day activities that you need to undertake and mm -hmm. do those with, with quality. Um, if you do the basics, the results will come. Mm -hmm. And I've learned actually, you know, we, we talked uh, uh, yesterday about, you know, sports and, 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 and especially, you know, I've been, I drank the Kool-Aid with CrossFit, so I yeah. admit to that. Um, <laughs> But CrossFit has actually taught me a lot of things, uh, to be honest. You know, there's there's workouts that are um, that are uh, short, right? And there's like a sprint where you just need to give everything in a short amount of time sure. and completely exhaust yourself. Uh, then there's workouts that are chippers that are long, and you just need to chip away and just do the right things, right? Uh, and then there's again other kinds of workouts. And but what it's taught me basically is that. So long as you stick to the process and you dedicate yourself to those individual movements or workouts or whatever it is, the results will come, mm. right? Um, and so I don't track my numbers as religiously as I used to. I am just focused on, are we doing the right things? So there's three things right now that I'm focused on uh, in my business is, um, are we, uh, uh, so for me, basically tracking t t three metrics. One is um, building a good team. Mm -hmm. That's the number one piece. Um, two is uh, pipeline health. Mm -hmm. And then three is obviously converting that pipeline into deals. Right. That's it, done. Uh, but again, I purposely focus on, the, on, on number one and building a good team. Uh, because I think if you have the right people uh, with the right uh, work ethic, with the right value set, uh, and focus them on the right activities, the rest is going to fall into place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's... You know, I and if it's not enough, then it's not enough. You know, here's the thing: I've also learned to see my job. Um, I think in the right context. If I was a surgeon uh, and life's dependent on it uh, every single day, I think I'd have a different stress level. Uh, but you know, whether or not I close a deal, nobody dies at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> You're right. And it's just kind of sometimes seeing that in the right context. And if this job doesn't work out, there's always jobs. You can always find different. I'll hire you tomorrow. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm cheering for your success and your failure at the same time. Great. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Yeah, that's great, Dan. Uh, when you mention that, it reminds me of one of the principles that Dale Carnegie writes in his book. And it's the importance of living in what he calls day-tight compartments. Mm -hmm. We've spent so much of our energy worrying about what happened in the past or regretting and then fretting over what's going to happen in the future that we're not in the present day. Right. The numbers will come if we do the right activity today. That's right. Thank you for reminding us of that. Absolutely. No, and, and it, it, there's another, I don't know who said it, but it says if you live in the past, you will be depressed. Uh, if you live in the future, you will be anxious. 
or something to that mm. extent. And if you live in the present, that's really where you can just, you know, where you also have control over things, right? Yeah. Because you don't have control over things that yeah. happened in the past. You can control the future. Uh, you can only control that which is in front of you today. And I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to practice that. I'm definitely nowhere, you know, at a point where I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not anxious about certain things, but I'm getting to the point of um, uh, of really just, you know, focusing on that which is important right now. And that doesn't Im- include just work. It's everything. You know, it's work, mm-hmm. it's family, it's friends, it's relationships. It's valuing that which you have today. Um, and tomorrow, you know, is tomorrow. Right. Well, it's been a few years since you and I have caught up, but I must comment, I mean, in addition to your professional transformation and the success that you're bringing to your current role, the physical transformation. I mean, last I saw Dan, he was a tall, slim guy. Now it's like the Incredible Hulk can barely fit through the door. Oh, you're exaggerating, Ben. <laughs> oh, you're exaggerating. Not, not by much. No, no. Uh, but clearly your journey has included a lot of focus on your physical well-being. Yes. How, and you mentioned CrossFit. How has that focus on your physical health impacted your mental health and, as you say, your soul? Uh, it's been a, it has had a huge impact. There was a time uh, uh, where I had not focused on that anymore, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and here's the thing, um, human beings, we always find different outlets, right? Some of them are healthy and some of them are not healthy, right? Um, and I admit that I focused on things that were not healthy um, and, uh, and, you know, in fact, abusive to myself and to my body. Um, and uh, and to my health, and so I uh, I realized that I cannot perform at the level that I want. I, I wasn't bettering myself; I was stagnating, I was plateauing. Right. And um, and again, I I think that you know happiness in life comes through forward motion, um, uh, forward motion in the way that you can solve problems and 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 deal with things and 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 feeling capable of dealing with the things that are put in front of you, and not being physically fit. Um, uh, has a huge impact on me. You know, when I go to, to the gym, it's not just, it, it, as I said, it, it, I would say that 20 years ago when I was in my 20s, definitely I was, you know, wanted to look fit and all that sort of stuff. Right. But honestly, today I don't care. Um, yeah. It's a side effect. It's a result. For me, going to the gym is unloading. It's, it's, um, it's, it's mental, in fact. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, it's all biochemistry at the end of the day, but it, it really is, you know, being able to just, unload the stress, unload all that sort of, you know, everything that is sort of toxic and just pushing it out, feeling great. Uh, you know, and, and in CrossFit too, what I find incredibly appealing in some really sick, twisted way is the pain that you feel. <laughs> yeah, It is suffering at times, yes. like really bad suffering. And you're asking yourself, there's a number of points where I came to and I said, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> what is wrong with me? But then the moment you push through that and you see that you actually can do certain things, um, and you see the progression of it all, it just inspires you to do more and right. to f- push forward more. Um, and so that has a, had a huge impact on my mental health as well. Um, it just evens you out. You know, they say the gym is the best antidepressant and anxiety medication that you can take naturally. Best ever, sure. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, body, mind, and soul. Now, the soul part is the next bit that, you know, that I'm sort of starting to... Um, focusing on and, and, and trying to understand what really gives me that balance, mm-hmm. um, it's an important piece. I think it's all three are important to really be, you know, complete for me. 
physically I'm good, you know, at the age of 46, I can do a bunch of things I never thought I would be able to do. Um, mentally, I'm, I'm stronger, um, and, you know, and then spiritually, there's definitely still growth there. Um, but, uh, but that's the good yeah. part, right? If, if, if it was all done, it'd be boring. I'd be, you know, I could close a shop then at that point. One of my favorite all-time customers, Buddy, and Buddy, you know who you are. Buddy recently turned me on to a book called Influencers. It was written probably a decade ago, but in the book they say that the only way that people can really prescribe good habits and develop good habits for themselves is by finding pleasure in the pain. Mm -hmm. And what you just described in your CrossFit experience matches that exactly. There's pleasure in the pain. Right. There's another book that I've been uh, that I came across recently too, and um, it's by a guy called Mark Manson. It's called "The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F." Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Um, so in a, you know, uh, and and that's a, it's it's a brilliant book because it also speaks to the point of you know us recognizing that life is not you know life is not painless in that sense, right? Life is a sequence of problems, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, the, 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 the challenge that he says is the question is only are you creating good problems or bad problems mm-hmm. for yourself? Mm-hmm. But problems, they are nonetheless problems. Right. Um, and, and happiness, like I said earlier, comes out of your recognition and the ability to deal with those problems, to solve those problems and to move forward and then to get new problems that you can solve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's very much momentary, right? You are solving problems today. Yeah. So you are in the in the flow of solving them and that will create new other challenges and problems for you. Um, but that also includes pain and suffering mm-hmm. at times and and, and 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 agony like you know struggling through a CrossFit workout you know yeah. is, is very much that same lesson but at the end of the tunnel when you come out of it you feel great you feel lifted up um, and you feel accomplished and that's that's happiness you know happiness is not an end desti- like what they always say happiness is not a destination it's the journey itself and yes. it's really today at 46 that it's actually beginning to sink in what that means you have made incredible progress and um, on behalf of all of your former colleagues with whom you worked in your current ones, thank you for uh, sharing your experiences with us. Now, before we go, last thing, tell us a little bit about this company, Degreed, where you're working now. What is Degreed? What's the value proposition? So. Uh uh, it's a very exciting company. The Greed is the first lifelong learning platform, basically, or the l- first lifelong learning uh, uh, environment where you as an individual can learn about anything that interests you, any skill you want to develop, you can go on to the Greed. And what the Greed will do for you, it'll pull together the resources that exist on the web uh, or within your company, uh, whether this be a course, whether this be a book, a video, a podcast, an article, uh, whatever it may be, any which way we learn today, and it'll pull that together and give you the resources you need today to um, to learn uh, a new skill. I mean, uh, our mission is, uh, as our founder likes to put it, is to jailbreak the degree itself, and hence the name as well. Um, and what we mean by that is that the degree today uh, doesn't represent what we really know and what we really are able to do. Yet when today, when anybody asks you about your education, most of us will go back and say, well, you know, I have a degree in such and such, etc. 
And that's about as ludicrous as saying, you know, if, if a doctor asks you about your current health and you say, yeah, I know 20 years ago I ran a marathon once. <laughs> uh, it's about the same, right? right. So it doesn't yes. give you much about the current state. And, and, yeah. and, um, and the other aspect is that, you know, the GREED also stands for another mantra, which is the future doesn't care how you became an expert. And I think that's today true more than ever. Right. Uh, that you, um, there's all kinds of different ways that we can learn today. Um, uh, and we do, in fact, learn uh, in different ways. And that learning is lifelong. Today, probably more so yeah. than ever. We need to upskill, reskill ourselves. The shelf life of skills are becoming shorter and shorter. We have the Internet of Things. We have automation, digitization that is going to impact large populations of our workforce that are going to have to rethink how they're going to be valuable or how they're going to be, what jobs are they going to be sure. doing in the future. And Degreed um, has pro is providing that platform for anybody to go on there um, to define what skills they want to develop, to get the resources that they need to, 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 to develop that, free as well as paid resources, mm -hmm. and then also to certify themselves that they do have that skill. I'm thinking about one of our engineers here who, he is a guru on writing computer algorithms. I'll just leave it, and much more sophisticated, but even classified type algorithms for the US military. And I asked him recently, I said, where did you pick up these skills? And he said, I went online and I bought a 60 hour course on how to do algorithms for $10. Yeah. It was on sale and I now am an expert on how to write these algorithms. Right. He did it online by himself for $10. Indeed. So that's the future of learning, I guess. Is I the think theme you know I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I think it you know that definitely is going to be I'm not saying that you know or universities like Penn State for example are going to go out of business. I don't believe that. I think there's still value for universities and and you know our sort of educational system yep. um, and those institutions especially. Um, however, we also need to understand that you know the, the educational system that we have today is based on principles from 200 years ago, right? Um, and yet we're still using them today in today's environment. Yeah. Um, and the way that we're learning today has has principally changed. The access to uh, content and experts and subject matter experts and the way that we share that knowledge on, you know, even on YouTube or on, on other, uh, uh, you know, through blogs, through um, podcasts like this one, for example, is endless and it will just mm -hmm. increase. Um, and so we have access to all those resources and they, they drive our skill development, they drive our education. And so we need new systems to uh, enable that. Um, and we also need new, um, we need new standards to accredit that as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that's why I'm, I'm really proud to be part of this organization. It's, uh, again, like I said, you know, I'm not a mercenary, I need to believe in something and I do believe that this contributes to the larger good of human beings in the way that we educate ourselves and build skills. Podcast listeners, I'm talking with you right now. Can you hear the conviction? The conviction in Dan's voice, it's genuine. Dan, last thing before we leave, your dad deserves a shout out. Please tell him in your native language, his native language, what he means to you. Go ahead. Oh boy, Ben, you put me on the spot, man, seriously. Um, uh, Dragi tata, hvala ti za sve što si mi dao i znaj da sam ponosan na tebe, znam da si ti ponosan na mene, puno te volim i hvala ti za sve. Fantastic. And to Dan's dad, I saw a picture of your new boat and I can't wait to visit you in Croatia and go on a ride. 
So Dan, thank you very much. It's really been an honor. Thank you, Ben. It's my honor uh, as well. Thank you for having me here. It's been great. You are, you are something else, man. Thank you. My biggest takeaway from this podcast interview with Dan Tesniak was his reminder that sales, regardless of your talent or the product and company you represent, is really about heavy lifting. And if you're not ready to work hard and lift heavy, this is not the profession for you. But Dan, you embody everything that a successful salesperson represents, and I'm sure that it came through in this podcast Thanks so much for making the time to join Ride With Ben. As one of my mentors often tells me, you're either growing or you're dying. So thank you for listening to this podcast, which we hope has been a growth experience for you. We will catch you at the next episode of Ride With Ben.